Today's podcast is brought to you by Ashlyn Lee. Founded by two moms of tween girls, Ashlyn Lee has set out to tackle puberty and periods. With monthly delivery of organic period products sized for teens or adults and a community of experts to help guide conversations between parents and daughters, Ashlyn Lee will ensure you're informed and prepared. Head to ashlynlee.com and enter code FULLBLOOM for 10% off your first order. That's ashlynlee.com, code FULLBLOOM. Hi, and welcome to the Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. Quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 59. Welcome back, Zoe, to the (laughs) Full Bloom Podcast. We missed you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. I missed you too. I I missed the Full Bloom Project. (laughs) And you, Leslie, most importantly, you. I agree. I missed you too, but I'm so excited Mm -hmm. for your new little one. My new baby girl. And I feel like body positive parenting, it's it's even more, I don't know, top of mind for me with this little baby girl. And I've just been thinking so much and feeling for moms of girls, parents of girls in particular right now, because it's like, oh, you want to just protect them. Yeah, there's something that happens, you know, there. I noticed it when I learned that I was having girls too. So it's something curious, right? To just something that I think parents maybe get the vibe. Um, our podcast does talk a lot about parenting girls, although there's still, there's plenty, plenty of body positive parenting for all different genders to be done. So definitely today. I'm glad to be back for this body positive parenting question that came in and, and the interview we did with Dana. I was eager to get back for this because as a as someone that was so dedicated to classical ballet in my youth and adolescence, I feel for this parent writing it in particular. Can I read the question since it's my first week back? I, I grant you permission. <laughs> so this week's question is, What do you do as a parent when your child chooses a sport or art with extreme body thinness requirements? My daughters have had this issue with sports, particularly the youngest, 14 years old, who is a ballet dancer. She loves ballet. It's her total life. And she wants to be a professional classical ballet dancer. The problem is that her lovely body is considered enormous in classical ballet and art with extreme thinness requirements. She likes food, but isn't particularly food-driven, though she does like sweets, and she hasn't yet developed an eating disorder amazingly, though many kids she knows through ballet have shown behaviors of disordered eating. How does one address this kind of situation? The truth is that if she were thinner, she would have significantly more opportunities in ballet. 
How do I help my child stay healthy in a field rife with terrible messages about body size? I think this must be an issue of other parents faced with sports like gymnastics, figure skating, diving, football, rugby, etc., where you need to try to be bigger, smaller than your body naturally would be. Professional athletes are probably all very particular about what they eat and very disciplined. Does that make it unhealthy? Is there any healthy way to do this? Is there any way to cushion her from feeling like the, quote, fat ballerina and the toxicity that comes from feeling like that? Thank you so much for your help and your wonderful show. And we're so excited this week to have found and be joined by Dana Volker, who is an associate professor in the College of Physical Activity and Sports Sciences at West Virginia University. Her experience as a youth and collegiate athlete have informed her research on body image, exercise, and athletic performance, and her work developing and evaluating advocacy and prevention programs. We thought she'd offer a really wonderful perspective, and I think she did, to answer this question, and we're excited to have her on the show. Dana, welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here with you. So let's just start with tell, tell everyone a little bit about your background and the research that you do. Sure. Uh, so I am a associate professor in the College of Physical Activity and Sports Sciences at West Virginia University. I'm formally trained in counseling and kinesiology, specifically sports psychology. That's the specialization that I did as part of my PhD. And a lot of my work has focused on examining the specific weight and appearance pressures, both positive and negative, uh, that athletes experience, and really just exploring how those pressures might influence body image, uh, eating, and exercise attitudes and behaviors. And really, this is one of my great passions. I was a youth athlete. I was a competitive figure skater, and I transitioned to ice hockey uh, growing up, which has really informed a lot of my work. And so one of the things that I really strive to do is translate my research into practical tips that are useful to people. And just one of the reasons I was so excited to be given this opportunity to do this podcast with you. We are so excited you have joined us because this question that we really, we really would love to hear your answer to sounds kind of like a great mix of, of why you do what you do. And so I'm wondering if you want to just start by thinking about thinking through with us your answers to this question. I'm going to read it again. So what do you do as a parent when your child chooses a sport or art with extreme body thinness requirements? My daughters have had the issue with sports, this issue with sports, particularly my youngest, 14 years old, who is a ballet dancer. She loves ballet. It's her total life. And she wants to be a professional classical ballet dancer. The problem is that her lovely body is considered enormous in classical ballet and art with extreme thinness requirements. She likes food, but isn't particularly food driven, though she does like sweets. And she hasn't developed an eating disorder, amazingly, though many kids she knows through ballet have. How does one address this kind of situation? The truth is that maybe if she were thinner, she would have significantly more opportunities in ballet. How do I help her stay healthy in a field rife with terrible messages about body size? I think this must be an issue other parents face with sports like gymnastics, figure skating, diving, rugby, football, where you need to 
try to be bigger or smaller than your body naturally would be. Professional athletes are probably all very particular about what they eat and very disciplined. Does that make it unhealthy? Is there any healthy way to do this? So what do you think? You know, these are excellent questions and legitimate concerns that I think a lot of parents have, uh, but that we don't always get a chance to talk about. Uh, So I'm really grateful for uh, the question that was posed. And I'm going to try to unpack it in a few different parts. So my first thought in response to these questions is, is, first, as much as we can, we've got to give voice to our children. If there are concerns about body image, about food, about training, or just about navigating the demands of their sport or dance environment, We need to do certain things so that our kids have an unconditionally safe place through which to share those concerns. Many sport and dance environments are highly structured. They're adult-driven. They're these hierarchical, top-down environments that don't automatically lend themselves to children speaking freely about their experiences. And so we have to create that space for them, truly listening when they speak asking questions about what they think and feel and taking them seriously so that there, if there is a concern, that we at least open the door to knowing about it as parents. And then second is really having constructive, intentional conversations about the concerns that in the end will leverage their health. So in this case, it was mentioned that this dancer believes she would probably be given more opportunities if she were thinner. And so this might be an opportunity to, in a developmentally appropriate way, help her cope and educate her about things like the social construction of beauty, the value of body diversity, and really take it as an opportunity to emphasize a focus on the body's function and what it can do and all of the amazing skills that it can perform versus appearance. So an example of a parent beginning this type of dialogue might be, you know, you mentioned to me the other day that all the professional ballet dancers seem to look the same. Why do you think that is? Wouldn't it be neat if ballet dancers with different types of bodies were given the same opportunities, you know, and then we give them a space to listen. When athletes are asked to change their bodies for sport, especially in ways that are completely outside their control, like to change, you need to be taller, you need to be shorter, you need to, you know, somehow get smaller hips. (laughs) We need to shift the conversation from there's something wrong with you to there's something wrong with the demand and help them arrive at their own conclusion about what's most important, which is their health. And help them acknowledge that it's okay if they're not picked for the next big opportunity. It's okay to enjoy ballet exactly as they are. Just because they don't fit the made-up ideal of what a ballet dancer, you know, quote, should look like, doesn't mean their body is wrong or bad. And one of the basic questions I like to go back to is, what do you really love about ballet? And typically, young athletes will say things like, well, I really love the movement, or I really love the, the choreography, or dancing to music, and I, I really like being with my friends. And so it's interesting then, and you might respond that, you know, it sounds like you can do ballet and engage in all the things you love about it in your body, just as it is. 
So these are just some examples of, of constructive, intentional conversations that, that help uh, athletes to challenge and create dissonance with some of the norms of the sport or dance culture that is creating concern and, and really demonstrate how we can be more compassionate despite what can feel like a very toxic environment. And then third and finally, as we're giving our young athletes space to speak safely with us, um, and as we're having constructive conversations that leverage their health, you know, we as, as, as parents, as adults, need to be doing other things as leaders in our community uh, to make a, a more systematic culture-wide change. So a part of this, I think, is recognizing that some sport cultures are promoting unhealthy or extreme behaviors under the guise of high performance, you know, and so we need to ask questions. Are, are some of the practices deemed necessary for high performance actually necessary? And if they are necessary, are they worth it? And I think a challenge for, for some parents and coaches and athletes too is letting the attractiveness of being elite in the short term cloud our judgment of what's safe, healthy, and adaptive in the long term. And so as parents, we need to raise our eyebrows when there's a certain practice that seems off. We need to ask the questions because when we do that, we help to hold individuals accountable for thinking more critically and answering to their philosophies and approaches with, with the kids under their guidance. And so, you know, parents is, are our consumers and in being selective where possible, we ultimately have a role in shaping the types of opportunities uh, available to our kids. To be honest, I could probably go on for, you know, hours and hours, um, but that's, those are sort of the three pieces that I think are uh, good nuggets of information to kind of take away in response to how to handle um, some of these these sport environments that are just really demanding on our our children's bodies and how they see themselves. I I mean it's a great start, and I I want to sort of disclose that this conversation it's like very near and dear to my heart because I was a serious ballet dancer and ultimately you know took ballet as far as my body would let it, and I think firsthand, I had that experience of sort of really believing that the changes that I wanted to make, and I'm, I mean, not even just to body size, literally shape of leg, arch of foot, you know, um, like you were saying, width of hip, right? Height, things that like are, are so obviously not in our control. I think I spent a large part of my experience really truly believing that they were in my control. And so I'm appreciating just from a very, very deep personal place how both for the parent and particularly for the child or the teen in this case, how large a leap, no pun intended, um, it, or pun intended, it, it is to go from a place of I just need to work harder to conform because let's face it, the ballerinas in American Ballet Theater do all look this way with like a very, very little diversity to a place of where I kind of hear you going, a place of critical thinking and, you know, coming at this from a place of there is a life beyond a vocation that would even ask me to change who I am. And that doesn't mean I can't enjoy dancing in the meantime. So I guess I'm, I'm sharing that to, to kind of just to be, you know, fully disclosing and also to offer a lot of compassion for this parent and this kid and everybody else like them, because 
it's hard. It's hard to go from a place of just wanting something really badly to kind of being asked to think critically about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, and I just love the piece about controlling what you can control uh, because when we do see sort of these idols, uh, the professional athletes, the athletes who have made it, it makes us sort of think, oh, it is possible. They did it. I can do it. Um, but I think that teaching, you know, our athletes and our kids and our teenagers that what is realistically possible, but also that it's okay not to become that, right? As to kind of giving them this other option for identity development beyond just their sport. Um, so I think you really hit the nail on the head with, with some of your experiences. And certainly as a figure skater, you're growing up, um, you know, I experienced uh, some similar things as well. And so I can, I can also relate to that from a, a personal standpoint. Yeah, I'm relating it to it too, from a personal standpoint. I'm just in the nature of, of sharing and I'm very short. Um, I'm five feet, so is Zoe. <laughs> but um, we, I grew up in a household and in a, a community that basically had three sports and that's what the town did and the winter sport was basketball and I actually really really enjoyed and still do I was just talking to my husband last night like my favorite game is that that arcade basketball game <laughs> um, and we were talking about oh, maybe we should buy one of those um, and have it <laughs> because we were just talking about games you know and how much fun that is um for me, but growing up, I stopped playing basketball, which actually really contributed to like stepping out of the social scene for at least winter time because it was just impossible to enjoy the game being short. You know, I could shoot free throws and enjoy that, but when I was actually participating and playing, I was just constantly like not effective in the game. And it makes me think about this second point that you shared, which is so relevant to our kind of fundamentals of body positive parenting regarding finding um, movement that one enjoys um, and a life kind of lifelong love of joyful movement. And, you know, your second point was really about that like well what do you love about it and let's not lose that because the sport is packaged differently in our culture let's rejoice or I want to hear more about your kind of conversation around what do you love about that and how can that translate into this concept of like intuitive movement intuitive exercise so I think that, you know, the piece about in, intuitive exercise, it involves making decisions about the type, amount, and intensity of exercise or movement based on physical cues versus feelings of obligation to engage in, in rigid routines, um, which is really quite similar to intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. So it really means, for example, trusting your body to tell you how much to exercise to do and when to stop and engage in a wide variety of exercise activities dependent upon what your body needs. In my opinion, and based on my work with, uh, in youth sport, promoting this notion with our children requires us to help them connect with their bodies and themselves in the present moment while exercising. And that sounds so complicated. It's like, how would I do that with an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old or even a 15-year-old? But if you think about it, kids do this on their own when they engage in free play, 
which really comes back to that point about sport is, is we do it because it's fun initially. And we're completely immersed in an activity of our choosing that brings joy and then stopping when we're tired or hurt. And in some ways, we disrupt this quite natural process when we introduce very highly structured, completely adult-driven forms of, of youth sport. And so suddenly, kids in those environments are told exactly how to move and when, enrolled in sport training programs with promises of making them elite, where any deviation is seen as cheating, or they're encouraged to ignore their body and push past the point of pain or injury to earn you know, this badge of honor as a true athlete or as a true dancer. And sometimes, um, you know, I think this is uh, fairly common in, in dance, um, often in, in figure skating or gymnastics, where even swimming, you know, we want them to specialize so, so young. And so identity then becomes so intricately tied to just that one activity, even though we may want to engage in different types of activities because it's fun, you know, we might constantly be told, no, we can't do that because if you play that sport, you might get injured, which hurts your chances of excelling in the one we think you're really good at. And so, you know, I I don't think that intuitive exercise in youth sport means giving up all structure, but I think it does mean uh, doing things that will help athletes continue or relearn to listen to their bodies. Um, Again, you know, asking questions. What did that activity feel like for you? Are your muscles telling you to go more or go less? You know, how do you know when you're sore versus when you're injured? And then offering some choice. You know, we have three choices for practice or training today. All the stations are set up and you can engage in one or more of them. You know, these ideas, I'm applying them to this concept of intuitive exercise, but they really come back to the basics of what we know helps kids to develop positively through youth sport experiences, um, you know, through the positive youth development literature. So I think that all of these things are really tied. We, we sort of uh, take what kids are already really doing well, which is having fun, and they're in the basics of, why did I do this? Well, I, I enjoy this type of movement um, and trying new things and just listening to themselves to help drive the activities that uh, they engage in, and then sort of moving and morphing them into this really structured space where uh, we kind of trump some of their freedoms. And I think we go too far sometimes in, in youth sport. And I think that's sometimes where we see some of the maladaptive behaviors and the unhealthy attitudes come about. And I, I think that, you know, with this parent um, who expressed concerns about the, the ballet culture that her daughter is experiencing, and that's part of it. This is sort of what's happening. I think being able to, you know, be real about that part of it is important too, because I, I'm, I'm aware that it's almost like a two-part conversation, not two-part conversation, but there's sort of two parts to it, right? There's the, like, appreciating what our goal is as parents to, I mean, we're talking about values, right? Like, to instill really wholesome values in our kids so that they can start to value, like, the way it feels to move or their pleasure, right? Um, The way it feels to even be fatigued in a positive way, right? As opposed to being, uh, you know, sore and, and working through pain, And then I feel like the second part of it, it's like validating the reality of some of these kind of these harsh realities and sort of the way the elitism has found its way into um, the aesthetics of certain worlds like ballet, for example. And, you know, I I wonder if, if 
you have any thoughts about, since we're kind of thinking about in real life, how to effectively have a conversation like that, right? Like this mom is saying, I don't want my daughter to feel like there's something wrong with her or like to feel bad about herself. And yet the world that she's in, it's sort of set up to keep making her feel bad about herself or at least making her feel like there is something worth changing, uh, worth investing that time and energy into changing. And so I guess I'm curious if the three of us can think about like conversation starters that, that validate like that there is, that this is a dilemma, right? For our kids. And I don't know if you think saying this is a dilemma (laughs) is, is a good starter, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this is really hard. Um, And a part of that is because we do, and I think this is with anything, with it's with sport, it's with school, it's with friends. We try to do things as parents to shape children and our adolescents in a certain way that we believe is going to be healthy and adaptive for them, but they may, you know, go and experiment in in some other sort of context and experience something completely in contrast to what we're saying at home. But that's just kind of what we have to do. And I think what really gets tough is when sort of parents are are (laughs) drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, um, and just sort of taking everything within that sport culture as, as truth not asking the questions, not sort of raising their eyebrows when something feels off and just kind of buying in. So we have to practice being advocates of our kids always. And this is not to sort of, you know, bash youth sport. I mean, youth sport does amazingly adaptive and productive things for our kids. That's why we ultimately enroll them in in sport uh, activities. But we also need to be discriminatory and help to be selective in, you know, the sorts of things that we allow them to experience that, and we don't. So I I think that's just always really tough. But, you know, I said before about it needs to be developmentally appropriate, right? So talking about the, the bigger dilemma might be, you know, really tough to do with a young child, but certainly, uh, you know, with a, an adolescent who can think more abstractly about some of these ideas and sort of make sense of their pressures, maybe it is a nice idea to kind of have that more real conversation. And for the younger children, being that constant reinforcement of like, let's come back to the basics about what you really love. Huh, isn't that interesting? You know, you can, you can do that exactly how you are. And maybe pulling out examples um, from the media or from of these larger bodies of influence to show them examples of where that alternative is possible. So I think we're pretty fortunate in some ways that we are sort of seeing this shift in social media and image and and culture towards body diversity. Um, And so it's a little bit easier for us as parents to sort of extract some of those um, examples of where there's just not this one ideal out there. So I think that piece is, is particularly helpful. I wonder if you could talk a little bit, you know, this question is kind of one side of the coin, which is around a kid who's already deeply committed to a very specialized sport. Um, The other side of the coin, which, you know, I think it's, it's the same coin, is all of the parents who are with children who have already dropped out of sport because of the issues we've discussed and how to how to help them. You know, I have a lot of, a lot of parents who will come saying, you know, with, with 
embedded diet culture. How do I help my kid move? And um, I'm wondering what, what you have to say about kind of your work in understanding kid and sport and how they drop out and how to get them back in. Yeah. So there are f- several different reasons why children will, will drop out of, of youth sport. Um, and it tends to happen around age 11. That seems to be this critical age. And if you want to expand that to a range it, between about nine and 11 is statistically when we see most kids dropping out of, of sport. In fact, there, there was one estimate out there. I saw that up to 70% of kids are dropping out of sport by the age of 11. And so there are a number of things that are going on. One being sometimes it's access, you know, socioeconomic factors uh, obviously play a critical role. And then, you know, other times it's, this notion that's just no longer fun anymore. Uh, it's not enjoyable anymore. And so I think, again, this comes back to what kind of culture are we bringing up kids through the youth sport experience? And so, um, you know, a lot of my training is in how do we transform the, the, the face of youth sport in the United States? And that's really kind of a part of my mission and sort of where my training was derived. And so I'm really vested in sort of shifting culture so that kids want to come back to it. But it could also just be, it could be burnout. It could be fatigue. So maybe we've dropped out of one sport, but maybe there's another alternative that we can try. But we sort of need to, as parents, we've got to model the importance of of physical activity and exercise because the reality is, is that there are probably more kids and there are some sport opportunities showing them how exercise in any form or fashion, including play, can just be fun. And I think it just comes back to the, the fundamentals of what it's like to move. Absolutely. I'm thinking about because we're all home and, you know, our kids have physical education and I'm, you know, I'm watching their, their lessons in that I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, and most of the time I'm like, we're not doing that. We're going to do some kind of movement today and that counts, you know, and that's, that's PE for today. And I, it just makes me think about, I'm curious about your, your thoughts on PE and how it's evolving. You know, I've, I've been observing my child's PE teacher now more closely because some of, some of the recommendations are to go to YouTube and do this circuit workout. And there's, diet ads on it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, I can't do this. I can't do this too. I had to turn them off. Yeah. And so I don't mean to demonize PE at all. In fact, it's so important in this conversation and in the fundamentals, just like how our kids are being taught about food, you know, and I'm just wondering your thoughts on the evolution of PE and, um, what, what, is changing about it and what should we advocate for as parents to change about it? Yeah. You know, so I really resonate with your point about we don't want to demonize these activities and, and we're not, you know, we're maximizers, right? So we always want something to, we look at something and we want something to be better than it is. And physical education, sport, you know, recess, these are all just amazing opportunities to, you know, have these positive developmental benefits for, 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 for kids that are growing up through it. And so, you know, at the same time that we're sort of like hitting on, okay, we could improve this, we could improve this, improve this. Um, we also need to sort of leverage some of the strengths. And so one of the nice things about physical education is that 
you know, generally it, it's a, uh, a structured part of the school day. The unfortunate part is that it's not always required. You know, in a lot of states, kids can, um, you know, have some sort of uh, replacement or alternative that doesn't involve physical activity um, or some have some sort of exception. And uh, I re- recall a, a statistic, um, and it may be a few years old, but where, you know, the average uh, amount of physical activity in a given PE class is between like three and five minutes of actual like real moderate to vigorous movement. Um, so we need to do better with that. But for me, you know, and I'm not a physical education expert, you know, I'll I'll leave that to my colleagues who have degrees in that area. Um, But one thing that I really find to be a good opportunity is just, it should be a place where we're showing kids about the variety of ways to move and to allow them to sort of pick and choose. Oh, I really like this. Oh, I've developed mastery in this area, but I really want to work on this piece, or I really enjoy the challenge of this particular sport. It's just an introduction. And I think when we do that through physical education, we can sort of show kids that there's more than one way to define what exercise looks like. And I just love the example of of what you demonstrated with you know, just going outside and we're just going to do whatever, whatever movement feels like for us at the moment. And it's not going to look like, uh, you know, all of the maybe advertisements or commercials about, you know, we have to get on a piece of cardio equipment for 30 minutes. And that's the only way that exercise will have really counted. And that's just not the case. We can do lots of different things that are enjoyable to us um, and that our bodies want and need. So, I think that we can leverage physical education and sport uh, to sort of show kids sort of this exercise diversity. Um, And exercise can look uh, a number of different ways to make it interesting and and fun. I was just thinking about um, the importance of fun and play and how, um, unfortunately, I don't think camp is going to happen this year, but the camp that my kids were going to go to and they're really little the, the basketball court or the basketball area has multiple sizes of hoops. And I was thinking about how love would be great for you, Leslie, you know, to like, <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, it's, it's, it's a both amusing, but also kind of a moment of, I don't know, like maybe a point of helping our kids think critically. Like if there's a mismatch of, you know, if you're a short person that loves basketball, it would be great to live in a world where there were equal opportunity, right? Like, so that there could be hoops of all sizes. But I think it's important to acknowledge that why kids get to have so much fun with sports is because things like that exist. Like there's more access. I mean, I know we're talking that about ways in which there are poor access in other, in other respects, but kids can have more fun than adults because it feels like the world of sport is sort of, it's designed differently for little kids as, as it is for adults, right? Like you get a miniature basketball hoop and then you get what a treadmill as a grown up. <laughs> like that's a major downgrade in terms of pleasure and, and joy. So I think just sort of noticing that and maybe even using that as a illustration, maybe for an older, older kid or a teen to sort of a way to think critically about like, whoa, the society kind of got it wrong, right? Like we would maybe be more joyfully moving if we had hoops of all sizes. I don't know if you guys, if you guys think that would be helpful. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, the thing is, is when we define sport, physical activity, and exercise for, for young people, it feels like that we have to fit into one of these boxes. To play basketball well, I have to be a certain height in order to reach the hoop because the hoop is is that height and that's it. And so I think that some more creativity and flexibility, uh, you know, in thinking about, well, how could we reconstruct sport so that more people could play and excel in it? You know, I mean, it, it really is, it's thinking outside the box. But the point is, is that the boxes are sort of what hinders a, a lot of people from engaging in regular physical activity over the course of their lives. And let's be real, you know, that foundation that we create for children as a young age, that's the foundation that they'll take for the course of, of their lives um, and, and how the multiple ways of, of engaging in physical activity and exercise. So showing them that, okay, let's think outside the box and be creative. And I think that with the pandemic and being at home, we've had, we've, we've had to do that, which I think is honestly great in many ways. It's sort of one of the, uh, the silver linings. You know, we have to look for them uh, at a time like this, but being forced to think creatively, okay, even as adults, I'm not going to be able to go to the gym to get my workout. Does that mean I'm not exercising? Well, no, these things that I'm doing at home count too. Right. Or just, just walking around the block, like in our case, or getting on the kids' scooters. And, you know, we're very limited here in, in the city in terms of getting that sort of outdoor time. And, but it's true. I mean, it does. It forces us all to kind of look at it through a much, I guess, a, a simpler lens, which is maybe hopeful in terms of re- returning to a more kind of realistic expectation of what movement is. Yes. So let's, let's end this amazing conversation that I wish we could hear your hours of, of the, the more hours that you have of this conversation, but we can't. Um, so let's, let's ask you this question of what would you want each parent listening to this podcast to take away and do on the regular to help their child fully bloom? Yeah. So I think when we peel back all of the layers of, of the complexities that we've talked about, and these are all very complex issues, is to be in the best way we know how an advocate for our, our children's health. And that might look different for everybody. Maybe one parent needs to listen more. Maybe another needs to ask more questions. I think the bottom line is that sometimes in the sport environment, we can lose sight of what's actually important and what that activity is really supposed to do for our kids, which is to enrich them, to develop them in positive and sustaining ways. And so if we keep coming back to that question, okay, is this doing what it's supposed to? We can constantly be holding ourselves accountable to that mission. Maybe that turns into elite performance for some, and for most, it's not going to, and that's okay. Um, and, and parents have a role in, in reshaping the unhealthy sport cultures and leveraging the healthy sport cultures and really providing the support needed for kids to successfully navigate some of these uh, complexities. I think sometimes we look at the sport experience and say, well, that's how it always, it's always been. That's how it always is. But maybe if we can think a little bit more critically and creatively about what we want uh, the future of sport to look like for our kids and our grandkids and their kids uh, as well. Sort of the forward thinking, I think, is just of utmost importance. 
I love that answer. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our podcast by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon so we can continue producing and delivering this content to you. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom. Mm-hmm.